You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. This is episode 302, dated on Friday, March 31st, 2023. I'm very pleased, as always, to have Peter Alchel, our friend and colleague with us. Peter, it sounded like a really touch-and-go situation weather-wise out in Columbia just now. Really wild rain and wind and hail and thunder and, and everything, but it blew through here, and I'm still here. So I'm happy to be on the show. Well, you know, Mark Twain had an expression. If you don't like New England weather, wait a minute. Actually, his name was Samuel Clemens at the time. But I think Missouri speaks the same language. If you don't like our weather, just wait a minute. That's about right. That's right. about right. Yep. Anyway, okay. I'm here. Oh, great. Glad to have you, Peter, and I'm glad that you're safe and sound. I want to thank those people who make it possible for In Perspective to be made available to the general public. We start out with uh, Raymond Gay, our producer who edits our programs. Thank you for doing that. I also want to give a shout-out to Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place, the chat line. They post our shows on greeting door number 15. Thank you for doing that. I also want to thank the media outlets for airing us when they do. You all know who you are. Thank you so much for helping us out in that regard. And finally, to Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions. She archives our programs on my website. All you have to do to hear them is go to www.brancoevents.com, arrow down until you get to In Perspective Podcasts, click on those, and you will see our archives from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie. Today we're going to be talking about a rather important topic, one that I think would affect all of us. I think it's good to be vigilant and good to know about fire safety and what to do and how to protect ourselves. So with that in mind, we decided to bring on the show a retired fireman, Tom Medeiros from Massachusetts, and he agreed to share his knowledge and his recommendations with all of us on how we can keep safe. Before we continue, let me welcome Tom to the program. Hi, Tom. Thank you for coming on In Perspective today. Hello, and thank you for having me. Well, so you used it. So you were a fireman. For a long time here, and I think everybody knows that that in itself is a very, very challenging job, and you really almost have to enjoy it a lot to be one. Am I correct? I, I loved my job. I, I really, I really loved it. I thirty years, and um, I wish I could still be there today. I wish my vision allowed me to um, continue to do the, the job that I really loved. I really, really did love it. Well, so, in the meantime. So Tom, I was gonna I'm, say, I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna thank you for your service. Just the same, Tom, whether you could continue your job or not, because you provided a very important service to the public. Thank you for that. Thank you. Go ahead, so, Peter. So, Tom, thank you, Bob. So, Tom, what made you want to be a firefighter in the first place? Uh, I originally wanted to be a police officer. Um, my best friend, um, my best man, and I was his best man. Uh, growing up, uh, we always wanted to be police officers. And when I moved to um, the town of Dighton, I met a gentleman who asked me if I wanted to be a firefighter. And 
I checked it out and, and I fell in love with it and I uh, did everything I could to, ob- to obtain um, some key training and um, became a full-time firefighter. And what do you especially like being a firefighter? What, what makes, you know, you would, you would do this for 30 years or so. Uh, what, what, what kept you on the job? Uh, it's something different every day. Um, uh, something different every day, giving back to the community. Um, I really loved um, the town that I work in. Um, a small town, roughly about 8,000 people. And, uh, we knew everybody, you know, uh, we were in, we were, we were helping people that we knew, um, just about every day. Tom, I wanted as a reference point to start out our conversation here in New Bedford, which is not very far from where you live. We had a very major and tragic fire take place right in our city the other day. You probably heard about it. An entire, an entire building was completely demolished. It was housing complex. I think a lot of people who lived in that building are poor. They are now misplaced. It's a terrible situation. And I just learned a little while ago what they think the cause of that fire was. Apparently, it was a wall outlet issue with too many wires connected to a microwave which caused the whole building to come down. On the surface, that sounds incredibly rare or abnormal to happen, but maybe you can enlighten us and tell me how that there's such potential for a complete demolition of the building just because of too much wiring to a microwave. No, it was, it was, it was, um, it was probably too much, uh, overload for the outlet. Um, we add, um, surge protectors or we add, um, uh, outlets where we can add five or six different things to one outlet and, and it overloads that circuit and heats it up. If we think about electricity like water, electricity runs in, like water, it runs in two directions and it causes friction. And the more electricity you pull through an outlet, it heats up that outlet. So that, that's probably what had happened. But it must be, I, 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 you know, as one who knows very little about this subject, obviously I can see how that might start the fire, right? But this, mm-hmm. it, 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 it obviously, uh, uh, got, got bigger pretty quickly. Uh, do you have any sense of how that might have happened? Um, things today, things that are made today, 30, 40, 50 years ago, even 60 years ago, um, we used to have roughly 12, 15 minutes to get out of a home because things are naturally, naturally made. Um, today everything's made with a chemical or, or, or a byproduct of, of, um, oil or, or plastic. And you roughly have less than three minutes to get out of, out of the burning building now. So everything burns a lot harder, burns a lot faster. Um, and that's why it spreads so fast. So, Tom, I, I live in a building on the 13th floor of a building. Mm-hmm. Um, you just told me, if I heard you correctly, that I have three minutes to get out of a building if it catches fire, God forbid. What would you recommend in my circumstances? You know, uh, given, you know, on the 13th floor, I'm not going to get out of a building in three minutes, probably. What, what would you recommend in, in, in my circumstances? Um, I, I think you had mentioned earlier where, where you live, it's, it's, you had the hurricane or tornado warnings and you take it for granted. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you're right. Um, take every, uh, smoke alarm, smoke detector warning, um, carbon monoxide detector warning serious and, 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 and know your ways out of your, out of your building, know the quickest pathway to, to an exit. 
Um, it just leave as soon as the fire alarm or smoke detector goes off. Uh, leave. Don't take it for granted that it's it's probably just a false alarm. Um, and and, and know your and know your exits. So, uh, and, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I was going to say, generally, elevators are not a good idea. Is that is that yeah, sort of, correct? Yeah. So, in my situation, I know where the stairs are, but going down 13 flights of stairs, uh, I'm probably not, I'm probably not going to get down 13 flights of stairs in three minutes. Uh, yeah, maybe I will if I'm desperate enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any any thoughts about other options besides running down 13 flights of stairs? Or do I stay in the stairwell? You know, like, um, what is the? I would, I would head, I would head away from where the smoke is. Uh, go to the stairwell. Excuse where me for a second, uh, Tom. Could you back away from that mic? You're, you're very distorted. Very uh, distorted. I would, I would, um, I would head away from the smoke. Go to a stairway where there, where there's less smoke, um, and, and, and exit that way. Okay, that that makes sense to me. Well, how about how about how much would firemen do? Let's say you can get out some other way by the fireman's equipment out the window or up high on a high rise, like maybe get up to the roof, get a helicopter involved. Is that a common practice with people that live in public housing? Uh, no, no. Uh, fire escapes? Is there a fire escape um, um, on the building? That's an exterior escape. Um, ladders, uh, we try to ladder a building. That way, if there are people trapped on the second floor, third floor, we can get a ladder, ladder to the window to get people out. Um, if you're trapped, I would go to a, a room. I would shut all the doors of, of your, of your house or your building or, or your, go into a room where you could shut the door to keep the smoke out and open the window and, and flag somebody for help. And, and they, we can ladder the, we can ladder that window and get somebody out. So okay. thank you for that. I, that's, that's, uh, that's useful information. So, um, and all, you've obviously have been doing this work for a long time. What are the most common, uh, fire starter mistakes that we civilians make? Um, one overloading circuits, um, two people who have, uh, chimneys or fireplaces, um, tend to not dispose of them correctly. Uh, put them in, um, uh, I've seen people put in cardboard boxes and put it on their porch and caught their house on fire. Um, doing electrical work where they're not technically don't know what they're doing. Um, cooking mishaps. A lot of people don't know that um, don't use water. Uh, if there's a grease fire, uh, a larger cover, a pan, don't throw a towel on it, a wet towel on it because you're going to spread the fire. Um, have a fire extinguisher, a working fire extinguisher in your kitchen. Um, that, that, that's the best way to put out a fire. Don't throw baking soda on it because you're just going to spread the fire. So, so talk about that. I, yeah, you, you, you remind me of something about the, the sort of grease fire and not pouring water on it. Um, you mentioned the fire extinguisher. Um, are there other things that, um, in, in, in that circumstance, uh, that, that could prevent the spreading of the fire in addition to the fire extinguisher? Uh, a larger, a larger pan to go over the pan that's, that, that the grease fire is, uh, happening. Uh, a larger cover. Um, you could have a larger cover to put over it to, to smother, to take away the oxygen so it stops burning. Those are other things you could use. If you don't have a but, fire. 
But 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 a towel is not going to do the trick. Putting a towel, a I, wouldn't, I wouldn't throw a towel on it because you just you're just looking for for pushing the grease further away from you. I wouldn't use a wet towel. I would use a, a, a larger pan or a larger lid. Okay. All right. Um, and so what if, if we, if, if we know that, that we're worried about a fire starting, what should we do? What are those first steps? What are the steps we should follow in general terms? We, we, a kitchen fire started or so we were afraid something's happened. What, what should we do? Uh, exit the house, exit immediately. What about calling the fire department? Again, call 911. Yes. Okay. 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 <laughs> That's important. All right. Yes. Now, what about exits? There have been a lot of discussions about exits. Do we need one exit or two exits in the house? And what would you consider a, a fire hazard? We hear about this a lot at public establishments and private establishments where where people might do something and then they're told, oh, you can't do that. That's a fire hazard. Could you explain some of that to us, please? Uh, you should always have two two exits out of your home or building. Um as far as the other question, what, what do you mean by that? Um, like not having blocked doorways, having a clear path, right. having a clear path to an exit, um, not having not having doors locked from the inside. They got to have a panic bar in a public building. They have to have the bar so you can push to unlock the door. Um, Could you explain what a panic bar is? Um, that little handle or bar that goes across the door. You push on that and it unlocks the door or that little paddle. There's a little hand paddle. You push the hand paddle that unlocks the door that they, they call them panic bars. You can, you can't get in from the outside, but you can get out from the inside. Tom, um, one of the things that I, I often hear about, uh, is the whole issue of people smoking a cigarette and, and falling asleep and the, and then the, you know, and, and the cigarette does its thing and a, and a fire gets started. How common is that these days? I know people smoke less often. Uh, is that, does that still happen? It does. It's, it's very common. It's, it's, it's the leading cause of fire deaths in, in the residents. I believe and, it's, I, I, and I guess the, the solution is obvious. Don't fall asleep with a cigarette in your hand. But, but any other guidance about any of this stuff about smoking and fires and, um, I would, I would always, um, use an approved container to discard of your cigarettes. Um, again, uh, if you're tired, don't smoke, don't smoke in bed. Um, dispose of your cigarettes properly. Um, never smoke in bed, never leave smoking materials unattended. Always use appropriate ashtrays. <clears throat> always properly discard of your smoking materials. And then after, after you put it out, um, before you go to bed, I would soak them in water. Um, that way they don't, they can't, uh, reignite. Um, and again, never smoking while you're using oxygen because oxygen is not explosive. Oxygen inhibits fire. Um, the reason why an oxygen tank explodes is because it reaches a high pressure when it heats up. The, the oxygen is not explosive. It just, it, it inhibits fire. So and never smoke I once had. I once had a neighbor not too long ago who died in a fire while she was on oxygen. Mm-hmm. And, and the oxygen feeds the fire. It doesn't, it doesn't explode. It just gives, it gives more fuel to, it adds to the fuel. It helps things burn better. In order for something to burn, you need oxygen, fuel, and heat. If you remove one of those, the fire goes out. 
getting back to it, an ashtray, as one who's never smoked, I know nothing about ashtrays. You said something about a safety ashtray. How do you know a safety ashtray from a not so safe ashtray? A uh, paper cup is not a safe ashtray. A foam <laughs> cup is not a safe ashtray. A, a, a plastic bottle, something that's that's uh, ceramic or metal, um, an approved an approved something that would that would that wouldn't burn. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the the idea, of course, is don't smoke in bed. Is the main thing. Yeah. Just, don't smoke in bed. And don't uh, smoke if you're really tired. Um, that seems to be a real issue. Uh, I know in, in my building, we aren't allowed to smoke in the building at all. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason, I think that's part of the reason, you know, they just don't want to take the risk with a bunch of older uh, people who are disabled in the building to, to you know, to run into trouble. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure that's what partly what that's about. So, so Tom, um, uh, turning a quick corner. Uh, well, before we do that. Uh, any any other tips that you want to say before we? I'm sure they'll, uh, when the questions come, they'll come back. But any other uh, suggestions about uh, how to how to react to a fire or how to prevent fires from happening? We haven't talked about already. Um, electrical safety again. Um, use only UL approved underwriters laboratory approved uh, devices or cords. I uh, replace all freaking uh, frayed or broken electrical cords. Uh, never use an appliance. Um, with exposed wires, uh, never overload an extension cord or circuits. Keep extension cord used to a minimum. Um, those little brown and green uh, extension cords that we use for our Christmas lights, they're really only rated for Christmas lights. They're not rated to have a microwave plugged in or a refrigerator or or a portable heater. And, and, and portable heaters, they should only be used as, as a uh, minimum. Don't use it for your permanent heat. Only use it for temporary heat. And if you have a, a portable heater, make sure it has... Um, a tip protection um, device on it where if it tips over, it'll shut off the, the heater and, and it won't continue to produce heat. <clears throat> How do we know whether or not a plug is UL approved? Uh, it'll have a sticker on it. It'll have a, a sticker that'll have underwriters laboratory um, safety on it that has been checked. So uh, you, you mentioned about um, overloading circuits. Um, Many of us have these, uh, these things where you can plug in like four or five things into one outlet. You know, I'm talking about the, 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 the a power strip, a, a power strip. Thank you. Takes a up to six strip. usually. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts about power strips in general? Uh, power strips are fine. Um, as long as they have a, um, like a circuit breaker in it that if it overloads, it'll trip it itself. Um, that way it won't overload your house circuit. It'll overload just that power strip and, and trip it. And then if it's, if it's overloaded and you're using some, a device, um, that is drawing too much amperage, um, on that power strip, um, I wouldn't recommend it. I would like, I wouldn't use something that draws a lot of amps on a, on a, on a power strip. So what are things that draw lots of amps? Um, heaters, stoves. Uh, refrigerators, air conditioners. Um, if you're going to use stuff like that, plug it directly into the wall socket, not into an extension cord or, or a power strip. Not even those really small window air conditioners. You know, the ones that they go in the window. You you recommend they go in there into their own right into the right into a wall outlet. Right yes. into a wall outlet. Okay, all right, that makes sense to me. Bob, anything else about fire safety? You want to I don't think so. Not at this time. Okay. 
So I'm sort of curious about your career as a firefighter. Can you sort of describe some of the, uh, I know every day is different. Talk about those differences. What might you do on a day or, you know, one day compared to another? Uh, talk, talk, about, talk, tell us about the life of a, of a firefighter. Uh, in the town that I worked in, we ran the ambulance. So, um, we also did ambulance calls, um, Depending on what group you were on, um, I, I ended my career as a lieutenant, so I didn't do much of the ambulance runs. The gentleman below me did the ambulance runs. Um, we would go to um, box alarms, which means uh, the fire alarm goes off in a building. We'd go respond to that. Uh, motor vehicle accidents. Um, we, I, I was, as a lieutenant, I would go out and do uh, home inspections. Uh, just before you sell a home, you're in Massachusetts, you're required to have a... Um, a smoke detector inspection and a carbon monoxide detector inspection. So we would go and perform that inspection and make sure they have uh, proper placement, um, not outdated smoke detectors or carbon monoxide detectors, make sure that they're working. Um, training, we do daily training. Um, uh, we would do quarterly inspections on the schools, the businesses in town. So it was it was quite a filled day, you know. And I, I, this may be a hard question to answer, but like, how often did you run into real danger to your life and, you know, and, and safety of your, for your, of your life and, and, uh, your life and, uh, and colleagues' lives? Um, I, I mean, we weren't a, a, a super busy town, uh, but every so often we would run into danger. Um, I've been to several major structure fires, um, not only in my town, but responding mutually to other towns. Um, yeah, I mean, we would always, uh, on an ambulance call, you just never know what you're going to run into, and there would always be some sort of danger there as far as um, it, what sickness they had or whatever, or whatever um, um, was going on with them, you know. And, and, uh, I lived in New York City and D.C. and Boston for many years, and um, uh, the, the big city firefighters, Part of their challenge, of course, is to handle the stress on the job, which is, you know, in, in a city, just huge. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, they, some people handle it, the stress well, and some don't handle it quite as well. Talk about sort of the stress on the job and how you, you handle it and your colleagues handle it, uh, you know, in a small town, which I assume is not quite as crazy as cities. No, no, no. We would do, we would do probably between ambulance and fire calls, probably 1500 calls, 1600 calls a year. Where a large city like Boston or New York would do thousands of calls a year. Um, how we would handle stress. Um, I was actually a member of the, um, of the, um, CISM team, critical incident stress management team, uh, for Norfolk County and Bristol County here in Massachusetts. And, and we would, um, we would do, little debriefings after a stressful call amongst with our peers. And if we felt that they needed a little bit more, um, a little bit more debriefing or, or counseling, we would, we would steer them in the right direction and get them the help that they needed in order to, to, to cope with some of the things. Cause the things that firefighters and police officers and, and EMTs see on a daily basis, the normal average person doesn't see that every day. And, and we deal with a lot. We, we, we deal with a lot and we, we take care of each other. So. So talk about the debriefing process of, of how it works. Cause I think that process is, can be enormously valuable, not just to folks in high stress jobs or folks who've, who have, who have, uh, who have gone through traumas of, of, uh, some kind or other. 
So talk about how that process works in sort of general terms. Uh, it would start on scene. If we saw somebody was having a hard time dealing with, with a certain situation, we would, we would start, um, uh, peer counseling for, for a better of a so-called, uh, peer counseling on scene. Um, and then after the incident, we all go back to the station and, um, as, as a group, we would bring in, um, everybody that was on the scene, um, including police, um, fire EMS and we all get together and, and talk about it and, you know, um, help us deal with things that we saw or had to deal with. And if it, if again, if they needed, um, more intervention, um, there's a place in Massachusetts called the Onsite Academy. Um, we would definitely give them a call and they, they help with, um, police, fire, EMS, military, um, cope with, uh, PTSD and stuff like that. I'm assuming, Tom, that some of what you're referring to would include loss of life. Correct, sir. Yes. And t- how common do you think PTSD is among firefighters? No, uh, it's very common. It's very common. And, and it's, um, I, I want to say I felt it was more common for me because we're in such a small town um, and we know a lot of the people. Um, I've, I've transported family members uh, of my own immediate family on an ambulance call um, for situations. So imagine that stress. Sure. Um, so it, it's very common, very common. Because I remember when I was uh, doing an internship uh, for an employee assistance program in New York City, and um, the it was it was just a major problem in the New York City Fire Department, but it was under discussed and not taken seriously back in the nineties. I hope it's different now than it was uh, back it, then. It was, it was it was back back then. It was like, oh, you're a firefighter, you signed up for the job. You're a police officer, you signed up for the job. Just suck it up and move on. Exactly. And, it, and it's and it's changed. The whole culture has changed, where we recognize that. Um, we're seeing traumatic and, and traumatic events and some serious calls and it's changed. It's no more suck it up and move on. It's, it's let's get somebody help, you know, so it's, it's gotten a lot better, a lot better. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I, because I think it's a, uh, no, none of us want folks, uh, with PTSD, uh, non-controlled on the job. It's not fair to anybody, especially Correct. to the person with, with, with the, with the, uh, symptoms. Yeah, have to have as much stability as possible. Correct. That's a, it, it's a tough job. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, uh, how that job, uh, how, how people do that job, especially under like such high stress conditions. You know, in fact, they offer courses in colleges. I remember hearing that there is a major called fire science. Is that a requirement when you want to be a fireman? That is not a requirement to be a fireman. It's, 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 um, it's it's just an it's an add-on. Um, a lot of cities and towns in the state of Massachusetts um, require you to take the civil service test. Um, the the town that I worked in, um, the only requirement you have to be is you have to be paramedic certified, and then you have to go to the fire academy. But fire science that that's a totally different uh, animal. You learn more about. Um, the uh, the whole evolution of fire and all that and it's 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 a different animal so no it's not a requirement to have your fire science degree. So when you say paramedic certified, what does that mean? What what what's the training involved and what what skills do you learn about when you go through that? Uh, a paramedic, um, it's 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 a, a medical certification. Uh, you run under the, the direction of a, a medical director, doctor. 
um, for the hospital that you transport to. Um, it's roughly, it's roughly about a two year class. Um, they're required to do, um, classroom time, um, ambulance ride time, OR time. They have to do so many, uh, uh, deliveries of babies in a hospital, in a hospital. Um, so it, it's quite extensive. They, they're pretty much, um, um, a doctor in the field. Um, not, you know, they can do, um, IVs. They can do intubations, which is putting a tube, um, down your throat and into your lungs to help you breathe. Uh, they can give cardiac medications. They can pretty much do things that like a nurse is doing in an ER. So, so I don't, I just finished a book called Writing, uh, oh, now I've drawn a black. I guess writing like the, uh, writing the lightning. And it had to do with a, 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 a New York City firefighter uh, or EMT person during uh, COVID. And I'm curious about, I, I assume, were you still working when COVID happened? Uh, I was, I was, my career ended just as COVID was starting. So, okay. uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was just at that time. Yeah. No, cause, uh, anyway, the, the book is fascinating and, and sort of, sort of makes for, uh, uh, sort of not depressing reading, but you boy, that, that that's, those folks who were dealing with COVID in New York City, I don't know, I don't know how they survived it. Cause there were, you know, they saw so much, talk about PTSD, they saw so much death and destruction around them. And, yeah. uh, the, the fallout was, was amazing. Yep. And, and the way they respond, and, and the way they responded, and, and there's a lot of PTSD from, from that, that these people need help, um, who worked during COVID in, in this field, um, which they're getting, I hope so. I hope so too. So, uh, so you had to retire. I, I, do I craft this sort of, uh, early because you began losing your sight? I, yep. Um, for about five years now, I have noticed, um, uh, five years ago, I noticed there was a change in my vision and, um, I started with dry macular degeneration, which was, was, um, uh, getting treatment for that, seeing our, our retina specialist and, Stopped getting treatment from no fault of my own. Um, progressed into wet. Noticed that my vision was really getting bad. Was, 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 um, I was trying to do the job with other means of, you know, using magnification, magnifiers, and it just, I just didn't feel safe. I didn't feel getting in that truck was safe to me, safe to my community, safe to my, Brother firefighters on the truck. So I went and got another, um, opinion and it progressed where I, I, I couldn't drive anymore. So I, I had to retire. I, I, and how has that been for you without getting, you know, without disclosing no more than you want to disclose? How has that been for you and what are you doing these days? Um, in the beginning, it was very hard because I, I loved my job. I really loved my job. And the saving grace was, um, accepting my, my disability. I'm still, I still am part of the fire department. I run the junior firefighter program, uh, where we train, uh, youth, um, in firefighting practices in, in the community. I'm still in charge of that. So I'm allowed to go there three times a month and help my fellow instructors um, train the youth because um, they are the future of the fire department and EMS. Um, I have, I have a part-time job. 
So I, I keep myself active. I really do. Um, I keep myself very active at the fire department. Uh, I do go to their trainings and do whatever I can to help them. Um, whatever I can be utilized for. So um, I still am part of the fire department. I just do it in different ways. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, supporting the youth and I would, I, I mean, how, how is the supply of fire potential firefighters these days? Do you need more people? What, what's the pipeline look like? In, in my, I like, I recently retired. My captain recently retired and another uh, fellow firefighter recently retired and they had a hard time filling those three positions. Um, one of them where they had to send out uh, extensions to keep the deadline open to, for people to apply. Um, it was very hard to fill those three positions. Bob, are you still there? I'm still here. Uh, it's a time so, for a question. Uh, we're about to that time. I just wanted to ask you one question, Tom, before we turn it over to the community. Brief question. Yes. I, I know that you're familiar with the ADA because for a while you had a position in your town which has a direct correlation with the ADA. Do you think that the ADA is a very worthwhile law to help persons with disabilities? I, I think it's very worthwhile. Um, I, I felt that I... Um, I felt that when I did it, I was, I was an integral part of the community where I was making sure that people with disabilities were getting, um, getting the fair treatment, whatever, if you want to say, a fair access, um, that they needed to get help. Um, the kind of town that I live in, I'm trying to get on the ADA committee here, the town that I live in in Swansea. Um, I know they have a one-person committee that they're trying to expand uh, to five members, so I've, I've put my interest into joining the committee here. Good luck with that, Tom. I would like yeah, now to turn the program over to our participants. Maybe they have some questions for you. You are listening to In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco, and my co-host is Peter Alchel. And we have Tom Adaris, retired fireman, talking about fire safety and other related issues. Raymond, do we have any hands raised at the moment? We do, Jane, and then Beth. Okay, Jane, you're first. Welcome. Jane? Um, there, sorry. There she is. Hit the wrong, hit the wrong thing. Tom, first of all, thank you for what you did. And now thank you for what you are doing to keep active and you know, bless you, to kick, well, I won't choose an anatomical part. Carry on is what I want to say to you. Um, and I'm glad you're part of the fire department where you are. I have three questions. Go what ahead. do you do when communities change size and you have to adapt few vehicles to a larger space to take care of? That's question one. Question two is... Jane, why don't you let him answer that first question? Right. There are three questions. I have three parts. Okay, go ahead. Okay. All right. (laughs) First question. Say again. First question, Jane, is repeated. The first question is, what do you do when a given area for a fire uh, house to look after has to expand? How do you do that? 
and make that transition for your firefighters? Um, right now, the, the station that I worked out of is is needing to expand. The, the building was built in the early 60s, and they're not building fire apparatus um, smaller. And if you want a smaller fire apparatus to fit into your station, it costs a lot more money than a standard um, already off this, the, the stamp fire truck. Um, so uh, it, it's very hard. It's uh, people, the communities are refurbishing older equipment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead of purchasing yes. new equipment because it's going to fit into their station. Uh, we're, we, we ordered just before I retired, uh, we ordered a fire truck that we're still waiting to take delivery of and it, and it's going to barely just fit in the station. So. Mm. So well, that's second. the part, second part of my question, Tom, is what do you do? Who who investigates arson? Um, fire, I mean, you know, people that intentionally burn stuff down. On our department, we have an arson investigator that works hand in hand with a, a, a police officer in our town who investigate um, arson. If if it's something that they need a little bit more help in. Then they would call the state fire marshal's office, and they would, they would send down um, more arson investigators to help them with that. Okay. And the last part of my question is, what are some very wonderful books that really describe? My brother was a firefighter for the Forest Service years and years ago after he came home from Vietnam, and I have never ever stopped being interested in knowing how to fight a fire and who does it and how they do it. So do you have any favorite books you can recommend to folks like me who want to know what's real about firefighting, not just somebody's fiction, you know, what do you recommend? I, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that question. I don't know. I, I, I've read, um, it started with a helmet. It's a gentleman who retired from uh, mm-hmm. FDNY, a firefighter in New York who okay. now lives Florida and he is the public information officer down there in, oh, I don't remember where he was from in Florida. Um, he wrote a very good book that I enjoyed reading and it was about his experiences as a firefighter and um, 9-11. So. So it's, it's, Thank it's, you. it's it, it started with a helmet. Is that the it title? Started with a helmet. Yes. I okay. got it. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. Before we go on to Beth, I want to ask you, uh, Tom, a question about arson. Can you talk a little bit about how you sort of, how you get suspicious that a fire might be arson in the first place so you know to pass it on to the expert, as it were? Um, unknown um, cause, unknown origin. Um, I've seen accelerants. I've been in a fire where I've seen accelerants, um, gas cans. Um, stuff like that. So that would, that would, that would have an, an investigator called, um, suspicious time Matches. of the day, um, un, un, unoccupied building, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Things that are out of the ordinary. Yeah. Things are out of the ordinary. Correct. And, and you know, obviously gas cans are going to be a, a tip off, I would imagine, right? Correct. You know, yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have a gas can, uh, usually in your typical fire. Thank you for that. <laughs> Um, all right. Ray, um, before we move on, uh, I just want to, uh, be clear about a couple of things. Um, Beth 
on iPhone is up next, and then it'll be Beth from New Mexico. And Elizabeth, oh. I apologize for muting you, but if you have a question, I urge you to raise your hand, and then we can um, bring you up then for your question. So, so we have Beth, uh, Beth, and Elizabeth. Is that way, or, or is that no? Beth? Well, I'm not sure if Elizabeth has a question, but she was unmuted, and I thought I saw her hand raised before, so oh, I ended the, up muting oh, no, her. Unmuted. Yeah, is that you, Elizabeth? Yes, it's me. I'm sorry. Okay, you can go and, first, and then Beth from iPhone. We'll go to you. Okay, because I okay, couldn't you. raise my hand. That's why I unmuted. I don't know what was going on, but right, well, um, welcome. This, is, welcome. this is a great topic. Um, uh, two things. Um, can you just let let us know what, um, how long, uh, what do you call it, um, carbon monoxide detectors we should have before we we replace them, and what would you suggest is the best carbon monoxide detectors to um, get? And then the second question was about um firefighters gear. I know there was um a protest the other day. Um they were protesting on the firefighters gear that they have to wear. Um it wasn't safe um protecting them as far as like years down the road um getting cancer. Um, how important is the gear that you all wear um, around, like, you know, I guess the clothing and even handling, like, those big, huge hoses and stuff like that? So let's start with the carbon monoxide alarms. What do you recommend? Uh, I recommend that you get a, a – you recommend that you replace them every 10 years, um, both carbon monoxide and smoke detectors. Uh, you always want a, a carbon monoxide or smoke detector to have, if it's a hardwired smoke detector or you plug it into um, your outlet, you want to make sure it always has battery backup. Uh, that mm-hmm. way if the power goes out, you have, you still have uh, protection. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as recommendations on which ones to buy, um, they, they all work very well. Um, the carbon monoxide detector that I have in my home, has a digital readout so I could see the level of carbon monoxide uh, if it were to go off. Um, and you should have a carbon monoxide on every living level of your home. Every level of your home should have a carbon monoxide and a smoke detector. So how high, um, how would you know when, I mean, how high should the carbon monoxide be in the house, be, you know, um, before you exit? Uh, as, soon as, the, as soon as the detector goes off, I would exit the building. I would, I would, I wouldn't, I would exit the building. Um, it reads, I'm not sure how many parts per million it reads um, before it goes off, uh, but as soon as the detector goes off, you should, you should evacuate the building. So, can you talk about the second issue, the issue with uniforms and cancer, uh, risk of cancer, and all that? Uh, what do you know about that? Um, I know that the the Current material that they're making uh, the firefighters gear out of um, is is linked to causing testicular cancer um, uh, in firefighters. Um, so they're trying to have the industry change on how the, the the materials that they use in order to make this gear. Um, it has to it has to also also stay safe enough to allow us to go into a 400, 500 degree, uh, room in order to get somebody out or fight the fires. So there's, there's a balance where they have to have it safe enough to go into the building, but also safe enough to not cause cancer. 
And are there are the material are there yeah are there materials out there that can do both? Um, I'm not aware. I'm not aware of that. According to the manufacturer, of the gear there is. Okay, but obviously it's not working now. If you guys are having a uh, uh, higher level testicular cancer than you want to have, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it is a real problem. It is. It really is a real problem. Okay. Uh, well, all right, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you, you Elizabeth, there? for your Elizabeth? contribution. And now I thank think you, Elizabeth. Um, now we got Beth. <clears throat> we got Beth from. So now we have Beth Mexico. on her. IPhone. All right. And Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. Hi, Beth. Uh, Beth from Virginia Beach here. And Tom, thank you for your lifetime involvement with the fire department and all that that involves. And also thank you for coming to share with us. That's, Good that's point. really neat. Um, my question has to do with the debriefing. What if you are a private citizen, not, in other words, not in the fire service or police EMS, and you suddenly are faced with um, a shooting or or what what a fire, whatever the situation is, can private citizens also be involved in the debriefing? And if not, how would you? What would you do? for yourself in the minutes and hours after everything has kind of started to settle. Thank you. Uh, on a private citizen is not involved in, in fire EMS or police debriefings, but we would certainly um, be aware of that for, for the, for the um, bystander or private citizen. And we would get the Red Cross involved. We would get um, whatever clergy was around involved um, to get them help. Um, so they're not left alone or behind um, to suffer with the horrific events that they witnessed also. Um, so we would we would also find help for them. Yes. What what would you do for yourself before that could be arranged for? It's not going to be immediate. Are there things you can do for yourself as a private citizen, things you can think about or, you know, just to try to get yourself into somewhat of a better spot? As a private citizen, um, knowing that um, you just witnessed something that was very horrific and that you need to talk to somebody about it, you know, um, whether it be a family member or um, firefighter on scene, EMS on scene, police officer, um, just just continue to talk about it. That way it doesn't stay bottled up and pent up inside. And I, I think... Speaking for me, having those two or three people who are friends that you can, you know, uh, support each other makes it makes a huge difference. Correct, and uh, who take it serious, you know, who are going to yeah. take what you're saying serious and not go back to the. And I'm not saying it happens; it, it may happen in in with a with a bystander or, or a regular person. The whole suck it up and get over it attitude. No, we can't do that. We have to help each other. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the hard part, uh, you know, to really listen and not spew these sort of, you know, these things that we think will sound good but aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think just being a good listener uh, can be really, really enormously helpful. Mm-hmm. We, you know, everybody understands that we, there there are no easy answers to the situation. Correct. But and and to give them these sort of bromides, I find incredibly unhelpful. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Just being able to listen and, and, and empathically, um, 
uh, which is a really hard skill. It's, you know, I, I have an MSW. It took me years to learn to do it reasonably well. It's hard to do well. At least I, maybe for women, it's a little different, but for guys, it's uh, a lot harder. Um, Thank you, Tom. Like, you're welcome. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Beth. Uh, right. All right. <clears throat> Next up is Beth from New Mexico. There's the Beth from New Mexico. <laughs> yes. Hey, Beth. Um, I got yes. a question. Well, I got a question, but first of all, Tom, thank you for coming to share this topic with us, and uh, thank you for your service. Thank you, and my pleasure being here. I have a question as far as you said that um, for a building, when they were going to to buy a, a house, an inspection was required. What about older apartment buildings and uh, motels, say, like especially in small rural places? Because when they just bought um, this building, oh, maybe not even a year ago, and um, we sure didn't see anybody inspecting over here. In, in, in the state that I live in, if a, if a building is sold, whether it's commercial and or residential, um, requires an inspection, um, and we we would go and do that inspection. If if your building was in in the town that I lived in, and they sold it, and it was a residence, we would go in and we would make sure all the smoke alarms are working, um, all the fire uh, alarms are working. If it's a strobe light, we would make sure that strobe light is working. All the horns are working. Um, we 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 would do that here in Massachusetts. I'm not sure why they didn't do that in New Mexico. Uh, but we would do that here in Massachusetts, and, and, and even with a commercial building. We do quarterly inspections um, on commercial buildings in the town that I live in to make sure that their fire alarms are working correctly, that their doors are operating correctly, um, and to make sure the, 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 the business is clean, that the, the pathways are open. Uh, so we do that here in Mass. I don't, I, that we would check it if your building was in Mass, make sure that they're working. So Even Beth, I guess a, each state is different. That's the point. Yeah, each state is different, and I'm not sure why they wouldn't do that in New Mexico. If the if the um, housing complex in Dayton, where there are handicapped people and elderly people, were sold, um, we would go in there and make sure that they detected the fire alarm to work, and we go in there every quarter to make sure that they're working. I mean, I, no, the they haven't. Been, there hasn't been any inspections. I've lived here. At least three years, and there hasn't really been any inspections in here. Um, it's not low-income housing, but it's just—it's just housing. But it's an older apartment building. Uh, it was built like in the fifties, at least. Hmm. I'm not sure why that would happen. I'm not—I'm I, I, dumbfounded with that one. You but might you, want to speak to your governor about that, Beth. That's only a suggestion. Your fire officials, your, the inspectors, call the inspector division or, or then find out if it has been inspected, you know? I, I know in oh, my okay. building, they, they, they come by every month to check my fire alarm and, and uh, carbon, you know, CO, uh, carbon monoxide alarms. They do it every month. Mm-hmm. The first uh, Monday or Tuesday of the month, they're always here. Uh, so I can't speak for any other, uh, building, of course. Um, yeah, Beth, I, I wonder if, if this might have been done before you moved. In other words, it was sold three years ago. Is that what you said? No, it was sold a year ago, but, um, okay. I've been living here three years. And no, and nobody came by and, and did the inspection. 
Well, right. I, don't, um, I guess they did some of the apartments, but not all of them. And that's what the uh, one of the land people was telling me. But um, and I'm like, why didn't they do all of them? That's weird. Yeah. I mean, does it have a main fire panel, a fire alarm panel? No. No, no, it doesn't have a fire alarm panel or anything like that. I don't know if in the office, I don't know if it does have one in there, but because um, in the lot, I'm hoping we have smoke detectors. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I would, I would, uh, in a, in a larger building here in 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 Dighton, where I was a firefighter, we would put the um, fire alarm in test mode. And it wouldn't set off the alarm if we were testing it. We would make sure that it rang to the fire alarm company to make sure that they got the fire alarm. But if we were testing, we wouldn't set it off in the building so people would hear it. We would make sure that it went off. But we would see the strobes and, and everything going off. So uh, they may have done that. But you said there's no fire alarm panel. So I'm not sure why they wouldn't do that. But I would make sure you have a full Yeah, there's no fire alarm panel. No fire alarm panel inside the apartments. I mean, the... I'm hoping we have the smoke the smoke detectors and fire you know alarms here, but I, since I can't oh, see okay. unless they're on the ceiling, I have no idea. But uh, I would have a family member make sure that you have a smoke detector in your house, along with a carbon monoxide detector in your house. Yes, in your yeah, apartment. You, yes, you know, yeah, that's that's not good. But mm-hmm. and, and every state's different, you know. So uh, you know, every state. Uh, nothing else to say but that. Thank we, you. Beth. Uh, we have so, about three well, thank minutes you. to go. I just so, want to get right. to uh, Elizabeth Johnson. You're back. You have uh, another question or comment. There you go. Yes. Um, I just remembered. <laughs> it was a friend of mine. Um, this happened. I think it was one night this week. The fire department had to go to her house. She had put a brown bag. She said someone told her that she can do this. Right. Um. Take a brown bag, put uh popcorn seeds in the bag, and put it in the microwave, and it caught the microwave on fire. Mm-hmm. Would you? Um, <laughs> is that not a good thing to do? And if and if if you put a brown bag in there, should you put a little oil in it, and and to prevent that from happening, or just? Disregard it all together from putting it in the microwave. Disregard it all together. Only put microwave safe materials in a microwave. Like, like the popcorn bags that you buy with it. We mm-hmm. microwave. I would do that. I wouldn't put a brown paper bag, um, in, in it. We, we did a demonstration, um, um, for a bunch of firefighters. Um, uh, we put one of those powdered donuts in a microwave and we caught that on fire. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I mean, this is unfortunate because this person told, Oh, I do it all the time. I, I don't know. I don't know how true that is, but yeah, I will certainly only, pass that along to her that it's not safe to do that. Not safe. Only microwave approved materials. It strikes me as really stupid. Frankly, mm-hmm. I thought I mean, so. it, it, it really, I mean, even me who've done stupid things in my life. <laughs> uh strikes me as is anyway. Uh thank you yeah. for that. Uh you're welcome. <laughs> there are no other left. hands at this time. No other hands. So before we close, I just wanted to ask you one more question, Tom. How much education does your fire department offer to the school system? 
<laughs> it's very hard. Uh, we, we, we try to get into the school system as much as we can, but MCAS is the, is the, is the big factor here. Um, we do have a fire safety prevention week that we go in, um, uh, but MCAS rules schools here. So, um, what's M, what's M, what's MCAS? I'm it's, a it's a standardized testing throughout all of the grades here in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Um, so and what would that have to do with talking about fires? Uh, we, we don't, we don't, we're not allowed, allotted enough time. Oh. In the school. Okay. Not that we're not allowed, but it's not allotted enough time. Schools are so test driven these days that this kind of stuff, this useful fire safety and music and whatever else, is going out the window. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really sad. It's just that would sad. be a subject for another program plus. Yes. Believe me. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Tom, I regret to tell you, but we're out of time. Well, thank you for show. I'm really glad I was on. Well, we're glad to have you, Tom. And again, thank you for your service when you provided it. It was great. And, and good luck to you in the future. And I hope you serve on that committee in Swansea. I hope so, too. Thank you. You're yeah, welcome, sir. And I want to thank our participants, and, of course, I want to thank Ray for helping out, and, of course, Peter, our co-host. Next week, where it's going to be Holy Week on In Perspective, we're going to have an Easter tribute. We're going to have two special guests who've been on the program before, Karen Geriold, Reverend Michael Garrett. They plan to be here to talk about Easter and what it means for all of us. Speaking of which, go safe with God's abundant blessings, everybody, and... Have a blessed week, everybody. Take care. And the sun's out. That's what happens with tornado watches. Go Huskies. 